Recovery Elevator, episode 342. The alcohol was a progression and then the voice in my head was getting louder about, you know, you're doing the wrong thing, you're doing the right thing, and then going into the whole moderating and going into like that mental obsession over. So that started to increase at that time. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Michael. He's 43 years old. He's from North Georgia and took his last drink on January 1st, 2020. I hope you all are enjoying your Labor Day today. Happy holiday. I will not be drinking today and you are all more than welcome to join me with that goal. Alcohol-free travel is back. Recovery Elevator is going to Costa Rica January 15th to the 23rd, and you should join us. We're meeting in San Jose and then going to La Fortuna and Arenal, then to the cloud forests of Monteverde, and then to the beach where we're going to check out Manuel Antonio Nature Reserve and the sleepy surfer village of Capos. On this trip, we're going to connect with nature, with food, the stars, the ocean, each other, and most importantly, ourselves. What does alcohol-free travel look like? Well, we cruise around a country for a bit, and this time it's Costa Rica. While doing so, we've got three recovery workshops built in, and there's going to be a lot of laughter. We've got space for 34 AF rock stars. Registration is now open. Go to the RE website for more info. The link is in the show notes. Thank you, Hillary. So usually for my segment, I cover one specific topic for anywhere from 8 to 12 minutes. But today, I'm going to switch it up and cover three areas of interest, which are all relevant to ditching the booze. Okay, let's get started. I want to talk to you all about my love for Blue Powerade. I usually don't drink soda or sugary beverages marketed as athletic drinks often, but I do love Blue Powerade. And for the second time in a row, the gas station near my house was out of Blue Powerade. I know, poor, poor Pablo. So while checking out with a cashier, I asked her if she knew when they'd get more Blue Powerade back in stock. She looks at me, turns her palms upside down and says, I don't know. And and listeners, I'm not looking for a response that says, well, Tom, our Powerade guy, he stocks the shelves at 7 a.m. Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. But any answer is better than making the customer feel stupid, which I kind of felt. So my response came so fast I didn't even have time to think about it. It just came out. And this is what it was. So again, I say, do you know when you'll have blue Powerade again? And she says, I don't know. And immediately I say, oh, you just work here? And I instantly knew she wasn't pleased with me. And I say, ah, look, that wasn't necessary. I'm sorry. She then says, have a nice day. And I walk out without a blue Powerade, nor an idea of when this icy cool beverage in the hottest summer on record in Bozeman, Montana will be restocked again. Here's the neat thing about this. Quitting drinking takes work, takes time, and you have to do the work. And so it's nice to see when the work becomes embodied in your circuitry and it becomes the new unconscious behavior. To be truthful, my response of, oh, you just work here, uh, kind of shocked me. There was a time, especially in my childhood and well into adulthood, where I didn't stand up for myself. People would disrespect me and I would let them because I didn't feel worthy. But in that moment, I wasn't okay with someone treating myself nor little Pablo like an idiot for asking a question. That's not okay. In addition, what's neat here is I recognized right away 
that I needed to apologize for my response. Sure, her tone was rude, but I don't need to put everyone in their place who I feel is being rude. That's also not the way I want to live my life. I don't know what type of day she was having, but I'm also not okay with being treated like that. When we quit drinking, we often hear it's important to love ourselves. What does that mean? Well, this was a form of loving myself or standing up for me. Here's another form of loving yourself, which takes us to part two of this intro. This is another personal account of the work paying off. What I mean by that is when we do this work of retraining the brain, and then the unconscious response is healthy and not self-harming. In January of this year, I flew back to Colorado, and I had to get a negative COVID test before seeing my parents, which I totally understand. In order to do this, I had to get a hotel room for one night before getting my results back. Occasionally, in the middle of the night, and this often happens in hotels for some reason, I can find myself almost sleepwalking to the vending machine. Oops, now I'm eating a 33-week-old muffin and stale potato chips at 1.30 a.m. type of thing. But on this occasion, I woke up in the middle of the night, put on a shirt, and started walking down the hallway to the vending machine where I eyed some cinnamon and brown sugar Pop-Tarts when checking in. About halfway through slumbering down the hallway, I stopped and I said to myself, Paul, there's no way we're going to that vending machine at 2 a.m. to buy particle board covered in brown sugar paste that will most likely give me cancer before I wake up. Okay, that's dramatic, but I think you get the point. I remember walking back to my hotel room saying, whoa, what the hell just happened there? So what did happen there was a bigger inner me standing up for what's right for Paul. And it was neat to be a witness of that. And I do want to be transparent listeners. I'd not done eating brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tarts. Just hopefully not at 2 a.m. while sleepwalking. Okay, the third thing I want to cover today is the well-being of our species, Homo sapiens. I don't know if you knew this, but sapiens means wise. Sure, we've invented the microwave, the internet, and Netflix, but we're still killing each other and ourselves at alarming rates. Our superior intelligence continues to come up short when it comes to the overall wellness of humans. The external violence that takes place on our planet are all representations of inner disconnections, inner pains, and inner traumas. Despite all our scientific advancements in medicine and technology, the rates of mental health and addiction are headed in the wrong direction. These environmental conditions are rising and fast. Since the release of Prozac in 1988, which Time Magazine deemed the end of depression, we've actually seen the opposite. Depression is the number one cause of disability worldwide, and pharmaceuticals haven't done what they thought they could. I think any psychiatrist would agree with me on that. The Anatomy of an Epidemic by Robert Whitaker is a shocking read about this industry. The journey away from alcohol has led me to explore books and thought leaders from a wide variety of topics. I've read books on addiction, spirituality, religion, communities, the history of our species, Books about the brain, mind, body, the spirit, the planet, astrology, cosmology, vibrational medicine, mycology, plant medicine, philosophy, Buddhism, and more. I've traveled to nearly 40 countries and have spent almost five years abroad. From these experiences and from what I've learned, I'm reaching somewhat of a grim conclusion. And that conclusion is that we are in rough shape as a species. As in, we are perhaps 5, 10, 15 years, maybe sooner, maybe later, from a tipping point that humanity can't come back from. And I recognize this podcast is about quitting drinking. And it's also a podcast about survival, about staying alive. 
both individually and collectively. As I write this, I'm looking out the window and see the smoke-filled skies of Montana and throughout the West. Unfortunately, the summer months will probably consist of smoke due to wildfires for the foreseeable future. And this isn't me trying to convince you that global warming exists or to eat less beef. That's all up for you to decide. But I do want to take a moment to use this platform to recognize that we absolutely have to start working together as a species. Now, I do feel we've got a major crisis upon us called global warming. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change just released its first report since 2013, and, shocking, it's much worse than we thought. I do have good news here. According to Sebastian Younger in his book Tribe, in times of crisis, rates of mental health and addiction actually decline, but this only happens if we work together. Climate change could destroy us, or it could bring us together and unite us. It's really up to us. The other thing is, we don't have to fix the climate or the earth. We have to fix ourselves. The earth is going to be just fine if we're no longer here. So how can we help? How can we begin to move the needle in a positive direction? All of us, individually, have to start fixing our inner environment. This audience has been doing the inner work for a long time now. We're doing our part, and we're showing others how to do the same. We are cleaning up the inner pollution that results in external contamination. We are doing our part. Quantum science has proven that we are all connected to the unified field of consciousness. This is called entanglement theory, that we are all connected, more specifically our consciousness and our thoughts. When we do the inner work, for example... When we let go of a huge resentment, someone on the opposite side of the planet will get that same benefit at the exact same time. This is really cool stuff. So even if you don't feel that you're worthy of an alcohol-free life, do this work for other humans, for your kids, your grandchildren, for your lineage. And I do think as a species, we will successfully navigate these issues, which all stem from inner disconnections, but we have to do the inner work and work together. For that to happen, for this audience, the booze needs to go. And before we get to the interview segment of today's episode, let's hear from Exact Nature. Founded by a father and a son in addiction recovery, Exact Nature's all-natural CBD products are specially formulated to help you face the challenges of recovery. Whether this is addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, or lack of sleep, Learn more about what Exact Nature can do for you and how their products can help you. As a Recovery Elevator listener, use the code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order at checkout. That's RE20 at exactnature.com. Thank you so much, Paul and Recovery Elevator. Please help me welcome to the show, Michael. Michael, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Had a good morning and got got a little my morning run in and at home enjoying myself so things are going pretty good today for me how about how about you chris i'm doing well good for you for getting out for a morning run i've had like four morning lacroix and 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 that's where i'm sitting so good job getting out there getting active i'm really happy to have you here today Uh, i know we've talked about this for a little while so it's good that our schedules finally lined up can you give listeners an idea of how long you've been sober um yeah i had my last drink on new year's 2019 so that that would put my sobriety date at January 1st, 2020. January 1st, 2020. We hear about these New Year's phenomenons, and that's awesome that yours has has stuck. That's awesome. Nice job on making that decision and sticking with it, dude. 
Thanks. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't the first time I tried to quit, but it was one of those times I knew it was knew it was going to stick because I set that date in my head probably 15 years ago. It's yeah. one of those things I've been working on, and it was it was wasn't my first attempt, but it was definitely one of those times where I knew it was. I was glad it was like okay, and I'm the, the way that I am, and the way that my mind works. I'm such a planner, and I'm like I had to do it. Like okay, at the end of the year, this is going to be the last time for real this time. But I've actually believed it this time, so it was pretty cool. So you walked into it with intention. That's awesome, and and we're going to get more into that. But before we get into the nitty gritty, can you tell listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, are you married, family, and most importantly, Michael, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, so I am 43 years old. I live in North Georgia, which is about 45 minutes north of Atlanta. I am married. I have two kids, um, a boy and a girl, nine and seven. I am a graphic designer for a profession. For fun, I like to paint, draw, play music. Um, I really enjoy running. And yeah, that's, that's about it. Nice, man. I, and you know, I like, I've had the the privilege of seeing some of, some of your artwork rather. And dude, you're fantastic. I think that's, that's awesome. How is it, how is it having a job and, and hobbies that are, that are so closely linked? Is it, do you find that to be a benefit? Yeah, it's, it's beneficial because, you know, if I ever want to promote my own stuff, which I haven't done yet, I, I intend to do a website and stuff and kind of get myself out there. But it's it's cool because it's kind of like the design thing. I've always joked about with this with others, but like I never wanted to be a starving artist. And I've always wanted like a steady job, or like a steady paycheck coming in. My true passion I would I would love to do is just paint or, you know, play music. But, you know, that doesn't always, always pay the bills. So I like the fact that I have a steady paycheck, but it's, you know, it's closely rated and like anything in life, when you have a job and then you have a passion on the side, it's almost like an extra job. So it's yeah. like <laughs> I come home and I, I want to be inspired. I have to put it on my schedule to, you know, play at least, you know, play guitar. I try to write it down and some, if I don't do it, I'll try to do it the next day, but I try to play a guitar at least once a week and play and, and do something creative once a week, at least. I do the same thing. Photography is a hobby of mine and it's the same thing for like the last two and a half months I've obligated myself uh, and I hesitate to word, use the word obligated because it, it is fun, but to just to make sure that I'm allotting time once a week to do like a fun photography challenge thing. It's something that I love and it's easy to push those things aside. So yeah, when you're tired and you got family and you got a full-time job and yeah, Sometimes it takes an, and it takes energy to put into your passion. So, right. uh, yeah, you got to schedule time for it. I found that really important for me to, to get it done. And once you once you get into it, it's you know it's not that big of a deal. But it's it's you can waste two hours you know doing photography or or painting or or playing music, and you're, you're so thankful after. But it's it's hard to get down yeah. there to to do it sometimes. We just need a twenty six hour day, and we're set. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Michael. It's uh, it's time, man. Let's dig into this a little bit. Uh, can you tell us about your relationship with alcohol? Uh, maybe talk about how it started, uh, a little bit about the progression, and and how it felt along the way. Yeah, it's so my relationship with alcohol now is awesome because it's non-existent, and yes. I uh, kind of don't think I don't think about it anymore very often. Sometimes you know certain situations it does pop in my head, but I'm pretty strong now in my sobriety. It's been a about you know. A little over a year and a half, so I've come a long way. So, but when I first started drinking, I didn't like beer at all was, or, or alcohol. It was kind of I was using it to fit in um, with friends, and you know, it was the cool thing to do. 
you know, high school, I was probably like 16 or 17 when I started experimenting with drinking. And, you know, I just, I almost, I had to actually, it's kind of funny. I was actually had to like physically train myself to drink beer because I just didn't like it. I just didn't like the taste of it. And even the bubbles it made me sick. I just didn't like it. So eventually I've got to a point where I could drink beer and then, you know, kind of enjoy some of the benefits of feeling those early buzzes and feeling great and feeling like, um, you know, okay, this is cool. I, I'm kind of, felt really good at first with it. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. And I used it, uh, alcohol to celebrate a lot of times because when we were at parties, high school was a really big party, like, you know, junior, senior year, you kind of are coming into, you got your car, you're going out to parties, you're going to football games, you're, you know, going to cul-de-sac parties, house parties, things like that. And it was all there socially. It was, it was around. So people, you know, to fit in, it's kind of like people were drinking. So I felt like I needed to do that, even though I wasn't really into it too much. And then it's kind of skip into college. That's when you kind of get a, at least I did, I felt like I had a free pass to, to drink as much as I, as I could, because that's what you do in college. And it's just everywhere. We, I went to a big university, tons of frat parties, tons of beer, tons of just free drinks everywhere. There's, you know, quarter, quarter beer nights. There's, you know, there's one, uh, $1 Long Island iced tea nights. And it's just like everywhere. So it's, it's hard to avoid it sometimes. And I was actually really into it. It was a big part of my life. I was drinking almost, you know, almost every day. It seemed like if it was in, in college, just because, you know, I lived in a house too, after a while, after my second and third year, I think, I think I was a sophomore in college, we, I moved into a big house with six guys. It was like a mini frat house, you know, we just oh, had geez. my brother was in there and yeah. So it's just, we had a pool table in there. We had, it, we had everything it was this big, huge house. We had like, and we had all this property and we had parties there. It was fun. You know, it was awesome. And we had a lot of fun. My brother was in a fraternity. So I, I kind of was an honorary member. I would, I would go to all the parties with him and enjoy all the, you know, music and all the fun. There was social events that were around there. So, I mean, I just had a really good time in college, but you know, that was, that was the fun part of alcohol. The, uh, you know, the dark side of it is kind of when I would be super hung over the next day driving to class and I, I didn't miss the day of school. So I would, I mean, I remember just, you know, dragging myself in there, no matter how I was feeling, pushing through, you know, and it's just, just a part of what I did. So if I would stay up all night, I would go to class in the morning. I, I barely ever missed any class. And I just thought it was really important. I thought as long as I was getting my stuff done, then I didn't have an issue or didn't have a problem with it, you know? Yeah, it just, it becomes part of the routine. And I think that we can get lost in it and it just, it feels so normal. And it's, that's the thing that we're doing. It's, it's easy to ignore those consequences or, or downplay them. I wanted to slip back one second to something you said when you were, you were talking about your high school drinking, just to rewind real quick. Uh, you mentioned that you weren't that into it but you, but you just kind of like did it anyway. Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming that you had like a peer group that was doing it. Have you thought about it in your recovery or, or did you notice anything then about this separation of like the things that you wanted to do versus the, the things that you were doing? Was there, was there any struggle there in your actions versus like who you were trying to be? Yeah, I think, um, looking back on it, I, that's a good question. I, I haven't really you know, when you're a teenager, it's just, you don't, you don't have too much, you know, insight with all this stuff. But looking back when you mentioned that I, this is kind of the first time I thought about this, but yeah, I mean, I was trying to become someone who I wasn't in a lot of ways and I, I used it to fit in. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it was, I, I didn't feel too much of that. I mean, I, I always felt like kind of an outsider. Like I felt like I didn't belong and kind of to back it up even further, I, I went to private school my whole life. 
Okay. And then I went to pub to public high school. So I was, I didn't know really anybody in this public high school. So I was friends with several different cliques and I was trying to find out where I fit in. And I, and I just never felt maybe it's the creative side of me or just the way I, I am, but I've just never felt. And I, and I also like to get, I don't like to be a part of one click. I like to, to, to bounce around and see other people. I don't feel like it's necessary for me to say, I'm, I'm part of this. I'm part of this jocks or i'm part of this thing you know it's like i like the idea of making making friends and not having labels put on it so i think it was uh, the alcohol thing you know it wasn't like it was keg party every single weekend but it was just like i used it just to fit in socially and i didn't really want to do it i just kind of like oh i'm just going to do this because everyone Mm -hmm. else is you know peer pressure type of a thing i guess yeah a a means of acceptance and and it's just yeah the reason i asked is when you said that it just it brought me back and and when I was when I was drinking in high school, there was there was just this like separation. I felt like there's the separation of me from myself, and and I had to find a way to to kind of forget about like who I was. I kind of turned my back on myself and and just started to accept this person that I was portraying, and and yeah. and that set me up down the road. And and as you're talking about the college stuff and the parties, and it just be became a way of life and it was it was the same thing for me when I was of that age and it's it's not necessarily that I wanted to do those things not that you know not that it was all bad there were some good times too but yeah, yeah I can anyway. totally relate to that. that's exactly that, that's you kind of hit the nail on the head with that because I, I just haven't you know with recovery you're always uncovering and that's mm-hmm. what I love about it is like you know people like you who I've met along my journey you help me see some of these things and yeah you're you're exactly how I felt like that yeah just like kind of not being true to who I was and not being honest with myself and and having to put on this extra layer of whatever to be, to fit in. Yeah. To be, I mean, I think we're, we're herd people. Uh, people are herd animals. I don't, I don't know how to say that. Yeah. We want to, you know, we want to be a part of something. And if we're, if we're unsure of ourselves, it's easy to be like, all right, lowest kind of common denominator. This is how it can, this is something that will get me in there or at least make me feel comfortable. Let's, uh, let's keep going. Uh, we, we left off, you're talking about college, not a, ton of consequences other you know hangovers and stuff but that kind of normal typical college life how did things go after that well i could back up a little bit i mean it was it was pretty normal but then in college i did i did realize that maybe it's not so normal because well, i'm always the one you know so drunk and i'm always okay. the one. so it, it's not i mean it seemed normal and i justified as normal but that was me making you know so it, i think it look you know I knew I knew it was an issue in college it's starting to be an issue and then I just kind of ignored it because there was so much of it going on that it felt normal so but in the back of my head I'm like this probably isn't a good idea that I'm throwing up when I'm going to class or it's <laughs> you know it's probably not the best idea and there, there were several instances not like every day but there was these little signs throughout I'm like okay well, that's not good but then you tell your friends and they laugh it off and you, you move on. So I moved on to, you know, adult life and kind of had the same mentality. I didn't want the party to stop and I was just kind of going and, you know, it's, I was always very positive and I always used, like I said, alcohol to celebrate and it kind of was continued, you know, to live that kind of college lifestyle out, out of college in a lot of ways because I was an adult and adults drink and you know, when you go to the airport, you go to the Sky Lounge and there's a, you know, Bloody Mary bar. Why not drink nine of them? Because they're free, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you run into these situations and you're, you you get into these heavy 
heavy drinking scenarios or open bar at a wedding. Perfect example, you know, free for all. Go ahead and just indulge and can't wait till you get to the reception, you know? Yeah. Let the um, father of the bride worry about that bill. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's just, it's so prevalent and so easy to access and so celebrated through, through society that it's almost, it's almost like college was a training boot camp for me to get into the real world so I can continue with my heavy drinking. And yeah. that's what happened. I continued it. I had, you know, children um, and I had to, you know, moderate and slow down during those times to make sure I was being responsible for my wife who, who God bless her, has stuck through me through all this and has been a wonderful person and, you know, a partner through, um, through it all. But I met her kind of, since we're talking about her, I met her, you know, after several kind of bad relationships out of, you know, alcohol infused bad relationships after college, you know, she was kind of one that saved me from a bad relationship and I saved her. And it was one of these kind of like godsends where I known her since I was 14 years old. We grew up together, but we never connected until later in life. And she okay. walked into my life right when I needed her. And, and I walked into her life, life right when she needed me. So it was this kind of perfect union, you know, love story. Yeah. Uh, it was awesome. So I, I felt a connection with her right away. And, you know, she helped me see a lot of, a lot of things and, and change, be really patient with me along my journey. But fast forward again to the kid thing, we had kids and, you know, that's the time when I needed to be there a little, little more. And especially the, the months leading up to, you know, being able to drive her to the hospital if I had to, and being, being able to get in the car and take off if we needed to go, you know, so it's like, I had to stop a month before. Okay. But that was like only because I had to. Yeah. <laughs> so and then we had our second, you know, I don't know, we had our second, um, second child and same kind of things. But with the kids, it's funny. I mean, even in the hospital, like our friends brought us a bottle of wine and, it, you know, it's, it's just, it's used to celebrate, alcohol is used to celebrate. So I was just looking forward to, you know, getting back to drinking and living my life again. And then, you know, just kind of continuing that. I can keep going on that with, as the kids get older, we, you know, there's alcohol at kids' birthdays party where, I, where I'm at. They have coolers for the, for the uh, not, not the ones that we would throw for our children, but we would go to ones that would have, you know, have beer and, you know, for the adults. And same thing with trick-or-treating. Sometimes you go around and, hey, kids get candy and have some beer. And it's, that's great if you can have one beer and, and move on. But, you know, I would have one beer and then looking forward to getting wasted at the, at the end at, when I go home. So it's just hard to manage all that. And, and, you know. It's like you're going down the checklist of, of stuff that, that, that I've done too, that I, that I relate to. I mean, we've had a sixer in the bottom of the stroller taking your kids trick or treat. And I, my, my son's first birthday party, we have a video, we did like the smash cake thing and there's cooler. Everybody's got a beer in their hand and, and you nailed it. You said it a couple times that it's so celebrated in, in, in society. And you know, like if people are, people are able to without issue, that's, I mean, that's, that's on them, but it really, I think it makes it really challenging for for those of us who are having that like silent struggle on the inside to take a look at it because you feel like if if you do have an issue or you are you you are questioning that relationship with alcohol it's it's so tough to look at because like man I'm, i must be the only one but uh it's tough uh you talked about when your wife was pregnant stopping uh you know when she was just about due and, and you had mentioned moderating uh after you had your kids and i was wondering if you could share Share with us how, like, how did that feel? Like during those, those times of like not drinking because you know you're going to have to take her to the hospital or, or trying to control it or moderate it after your children were, were born. How did it feel? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it felt pretty awesome because I was fully present. And I, I think that's a good, 
and that was one of the first times that I realized that I don't really need alcohol to be there. And I was living on a high on life. You know, I was, I was, had so much going for me. I had like beautiful wife. I had a beautiful child, healthy on the way. And I mean, I remember probably one of the most special times of my life is you hear that cry of that child in that room. And next thing you know, there's three of you in there and yeah. you know, it's like, wait a second. And I mean, it's just so emotionally, the love that you feel automatically for everyone in that room. It's just so cool. You, you have a family now and alcohol wasn't there and any, I wasn't thinking about it. I didn't have, it wasn't that difficult the first time to really do that. I know it was kind of like, I don't want to do this, but it was like, okay, I'll just, I need to do this. And then I didn't realize, how good I would feel with, um, like you said, you know, without that. Yeah. So it's felt pretty amazing. Not uh, focusing on the things that were really important in my life, like, you know, my wife and, you know, being there for her and, and for, for our firstborn child. Did you miss it much or, or what led to, yeah, I didn't, what led didn't to that really, drawback? Yeah. Um, like I said, it wasn't really, it's almost like a, not a drawback. It was just like a, a continuation of, uh, progression, you know, so I think alcohol is just one of those things where drinking, you know, and, and as you know, drinking is something that slowly creeps in, slowly sneaks up on you, you know, over years. It was, I think it was just a, the progression of drinking. I didn't feel like, okay, now I'm going back to drinking. It was almost just like I'm continuing to drink and live the life that I want to live. And it was, there was no problem for me because I could justify it a hundred different ways that I, mm-hmm. I didn't have any issues. So it was a slow progression. So I, I think I just continued along my path. And I said, I, I, I bought into the whole, it was, it's kind of called the mommy wine culture, but it's almost like the parent wine culture where, you know, parents are, you know, it's okay to have to blow off some steam at the end of the day and, and, and drink. And like I said, it's my wife is, she can do that. She could have a beer and forget the beers downstairs and go upstairs and go to bed. <laughs> What's that like? I, I don't have any clue. I, I, I have to, uh, yeah, it's it's total insanity to me that you could just leave a half a beer on the counter and just go to bed. I'm like, that, that, that doesn't happen in my world. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it was a uh, progression of, I think just, I looked at it as, you know, and the alcohol was a progression. And then the voice in my head was getting louder about, you know, you're doing the wrong thing, you're doing the right thing. And then going into the whole moderating and going into like that mental obsession over. So that started to increase at that time you know, what are you doing? You're a father now. You can't be drinking this heavy. You have to, you know, I had to hide it more. I didn't want to drink it like that in front of my kids. So I would have to go downstairs and drink and, you know, I didn't want that to be to them to see that side of me. So I wanted to avoid that, but you know, alcohol kept increasing and the the voice in my head kept getting louder. So it's, you know, it was a struggle for sure. Were you getting any pushback from your wife that, that led to those thoughts of, of trying to, all right, maybe I need to like hide or, or conceal how much I'm drinking or is that, or was that all just like internal dialogue realizations that you were having on your own? Yeah, she was, she's been always really good about, she understands that it's not a problem for me and it's you know, something I need to deal with, but yeah, she gave me pushback for sure. I mean, she doesn't like to see me, you know. <laughs> why did you do this? And why are you, you know, why are you leaving the oven on all night when you're baking your pizza, you know, and it's, you're going to burn the house down. Like, okay, you need to turn the oven off after about three or four times of her telling me that I'm sure she got a little frustrated, you know? And so it's, yeah, she, she never, I never felt pressured. Like she didn't never like, you need to stop drinking, but you know, it was something that I know she was very concerned about and she loves me and you know, she, and I think she did the best, as far as like being there and being kind of like supportive, but not putting that pressure, not giving me ultimatums and not saying like, you have to do this. And I think, I think she knew when she told me I have to do something, 
I went out and did it harder. Like, so she told me you can't have six beers. I'm like, good. I know I can have nine <laughs> a bottle of wine. So I'm going to go do that. So she couldn't, she didn't realize that if she pushed my buttons. I'd, I'd push back further and, yeah. and I'd prove her wrong. So we had this little bit of that going on. And, uh, but then, you know, over, you know, it, that's just not fun. I mean, it's maybe fun the first couple of times you do that. And then over years of doing that, she's getting, she's getting tired of it. And I know that I was too. So, I had to respect her and, and understand that respect myself more so. And that was the key just to like kind of understand that this is something I need to deal with and I need to change my life because this is not how I want to live as a father, as a husband and continue. And I know it's not getting any better. So I'm really, uh, I'm really glad that you, that you had that realization and it, it's tough in a relationship. And, you know, I feel for the spouses of people out there who, who are dealing with this because it's, you know, how do you approach that conversation without, without inciting defiance from the other, from the other person? Cause I was the same way. Like what? Like not a 12 pack. I don't, all right, let me show you. Yeah. I'll uh, get a four. Yeah, exactly. And that same yeah. thing. It's in, it's like, it's almost like you have to one up or approve them that you're in control of your, what you're doing. And it's, yeah. it's not a, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. And I think that's why I really give her credit for standing back and just understanding that she can't, control what I am doing. Like she told me, I'm not, I'm not approving of just behavior, but you know, it's up to me to make my own choices. And that's, if you're going to do that, then that's, you know, so it was, it was kind of a, I think she handled it perfectly for my personality and to make me realize, have that self-realization and have that kind of coming to, you know, Jesus in my heart, like I need to change, you know, really self-evaluating my behaviors and my actions and understanding you know, how to change those for myself. Good. I'm glad that you guys had that relationship and it's, you know, it's, it's tough, but I'm glad that you were, that you were able to get there. So you had, you had some kids here, you, you know, you, you had some, a little bit of time away, some time with moderation and you talked about it, it creeping back in just as, as pervasive as alcohol is and as society, you know, not to blame it on society, but it's, it's, you know, normalized in culture. So, you know, it continued on. Uh, can you walk us up to like leading up to January 1st of 2020? What, what did kind of the, the end of the drinking look like for you? Yeah. So I'm bad at math. So I was not trying to throw too many dates in there, but I'm trying to think after my son and after my son was born, we kind of left off there a little bit. Like my second child, he was, you know, it kind of looked like I said, it's the same thing continuing. That voice got louder in my head, the obsession of trying to hide it, you know, trying to justify, trying to moderate, really trying. Moderation was something that was really a struggle for me. And I, I, I truly believe that moderation is just not a thing. Like it should almost be taken out of the um, vocabulary book, out of the dictionary. <laughs> that shouldn't even be a word because for people who have issues with moderating or have problems with moderating or don't understand how to moderate it's impossible like you can't moderate when you have a a drinking problem for me it was an incredibly painful exercise there's a tremendous amount of self-defeat that happened through all of these uh, again speaking for myself all these moderation attempts yep and i'll speak for myself that i was trying to and i put some numbers on it and I think I tried for 15 years to moderate every single thing you could think of from, I don't even want to go into them, but there's so many, like 15 years worth of moderation techniques. I, and I tried everything you could think of someone. And I always hear you're fine. You know, you're good. Like just moderate, you know, you just, just, everything is good in moderation. You know, just, just, you just need to learn to moderate. 
I mean, and that's the only advice I was ever given. And I didn't know anybody in recovery. I didn't know anybody, you know, who, who I, and I didn't want to go, I wasn't going to AA. That was for damn sure. I was like, I'm not going, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't need to go there. Like who the heck yeah. goes to that, to that place? I'm not going there. So yeah, it was just the moderation thing. I just thought I could figure it out. And I tried for 15 years and I said, I could, that could be a whole podcast about me telling you all the moderation techniques that I, that failed. Let's, let's, I know you said you didn't want to dig into it. 15 <laughs> years of moderation off the top of your head. I know I didn't prompt you for this, but is there one that like looking back that stands out more than the others of, of like looking back, like what in the hell, why was I thinking that this was going to work? Yeah. So I think one that that was one of the, it's almost like the ones towards the end of my journey. Those are the ones that got kind of more ridiculous. So at the end, I was buying kids Pedialyte to drink the night before. And I'd drink Pedialyte and thinking that was a hangover. I, would, I wouldn't be hungover if I just drank Pedialyte at, right before bed. Yeah. And so that was like kind of ridiculous. I'm like, I'm drinking Pedialyte. And I was like, okay, that's, that didn't work. So another one, another moderation technique that I thought was, you know, always told is like, just drink, you know, one glass, one, one glass of water for every beer. I'm, that's probably one of the ones you hear all the time, but yeah. that, that, I didn't even want to try that. I'm like, that's just dumb. Why would I want to drink water and beer? I want to drink beer. Yeah. So I didn't even try that. You know, I'm already peeing a lot. And I'm going yeah, to double already, that. Yeah, I, I do. I drink like one glass and I'm like, that's not working. And I guess the biggest one for me, kind of the most ridiculous thing. And it's probably like everybody else that has issues with, with hard alcohol is like, I ha I was just convinced myself that if I didn't drink hard alcohol, I didn't have a problem. So I went through like Every single hard alcohol, you know, Jaeger shots and vodka and gin. Ugh. And I had my time with each one of those Jack Daniels and then, you know, whiskey. And this is over, you know, years of, okay, now I'm just going to switch to this and I'll be okay. Now I'm going to switch to, you know, gin and I'll be okay. Now I'm going to switch to this. And I just, every time I thought, oh, is, it was that, that That's, brown liquor that was the Yeah, problem. that specific form yeah. of hard alcohol that was yeah. it's not me it's the it's the Jaeger or the you know, whatever yeah and then I've, yeah and then i figured out that it's not even whiskey it's jack daniels whiskey i could drink canadian whiskey but not <laughs> jack daniels whiskey so it's more friendly the canadian stuff is more friendly i suppose yeah the canadian stuff is more friendly <laughs> and I, I was able to drink that straight on the rocks with no problems until uh, there were problems just but, makes my stomach turn yeah so it's just and so anyways i figured out moderating i can't moderate so i'll just stick to beer and wine i can moderate that and as you know that goes they have these high gravity beers and those go up to 10 percent. next thing i know i'm drinking a six pack of 10 percent. So i'm like that's that's a, someone said one of the guys you know is the beer connoisseur at the store and he's like he's all i would i'd talk to him about the new beers that are coming in and he had i mean you walk in it's like a mecca of beer you walk into this huge fridge and there's this lined of beer cans everywhere they're all from all over the united states and I'm always talking to him like oh, this one's 10 percent and oh yeah there's some challenge if you can drink 10 of them or drink six of them like dude that's easy i'll drink six and report back to you, <laughs> you know? so it was like it was this whole thing i got in and i started brewing my own beer and so i got into i thought i was a beer guy for a while you know yeah. and that was my moderating that was my i think that's the silliest thing is like just moderating with beer and wine and that's okay and i'd go way overboard on that you know and maybe not everyone saw that but i i definitely you know you said a lot of this happened when the kids were in bed and you know and hanging out by myself, you know, yeah. watching TV or playing video games or whatever at night. And we laugh about it. And I, I think we, I think we have to, at least I, I have to, you know, laugh at some of the silliness of it. But if, you know, if we take a step back and look at it from a different angle, like what, what a bummer, right. To be like waiting for your family to go to bed so that 
so that you can do things the way that you, you know, drink the way that you want to, or, or to not feel like you can unwind until you're, everybody else is gone and you can just sit there and get drunk by yourself. Like that's, that just, it sucks, man. It sucks to live like that. You know, I've been there too. It's hard. Yeah, yeah I know. It's like I said, I try to try to look at the positives of everything and it's easy to laugh at it now, but I wasn't laughing, you know, waking up with a hangover and I was in a bad spot back then. Like it's not fun. And, um, it catches up to you as you get older too. You just don't bounce back from these hangovers and you have to, you know, live your life and go on doing the stuff and, and it just doesn't work. You can't continue that type of behavior. It's just really sad. Uh, yeah, I was, I mean, you know, definitely when I was down there drinking by myself, I was alone, you know, felt, you know, like no one understood what was going on with me. So I would just let loose. And yeah, that was my time to kind of unwind and, and enjoy myself. And I, which I thought was enjoying myself, but it was really just, you know, kind of slowly killing myself. And then, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad when you look, look back at it. And, you know, I said, I try to, I, I try to kind of laugh at it because it's just crazy. It's more just the craziness and the insanity of like the things you tell yourself, you know, and how, how to, how all this stuff is okay when it's not. And I think, I think it, that just brings us back to that, you know, like we talked about earlier, that, that separation of, of who we want to be, the dad, the husband, the friend, the employer, whatever that we want to be versus what we see that we're really doing. And especially if we're keeping that from the people around us, it's, it's so isolating and, and hard. Yep. And I'm kind of thinking back to is one of the main reasons I did, you know, leading up to January 2020 was, you know, I'd go to these things, you know, I would do these things, you know, like I said, mostly drinking after the kids were in bed. And then, you know, next thing you know, it's your daughter's birthday party the next day yeah. and you got to show up and you got to be there. And I was there every single time. But I look, I started looking back at images of myself and my children. And I looked at those pictures and I'd see their faces and how happy they were. And I'd see my face and I was happy, but I didn't have joy in my heart. I was oh, happy. Man. I was there. And I just didn't have the joy. I wasn't present and I didn't feel connected to my kids. I didn't feel like a, a dad. I didn't, I couldn't accept that I was a dad. I couldn't accept who I was. I couldn't enjoy the love that was given to me, the love that I created in my life. I couldn't accept it. So that was a huge, huge thing. And when I saw that, those pictures, and I saw myself in those pictures, I didn't want to continue my life looking back at those photos and being like, realizing I was never there for any part of my life. That's a really powerful moment. Yeah, it was, it was huge, man. It's, it's something that's definitely like a game changer, just understanding that life is like i said all that stuff i created and all the things i'm not even enjoying them and it's so much more than who i am i've always i guess i've always been pretty selfish and when you have children you have to give up that self and give understand that the love out there is stronger than you have and it's and when you embrace that now i really enjoy every single moment with them you know we have hard times and things. We had a hard time last night with some stuff, but I mean, then me and my daughter watched an awesome show together and we stayed up a little bit later and, and watched a show and we had some good times. You know, it's just the memories that you create when you're not drinking and waking up fresh and doing what you need to do the next day. I just never want to go back to that, my previous life. So I said, it's almost like a dual life and I've left that old life behind me now. So. Well, give us a few minutes. Let's, let's just jump right into this, this recovery component of it or the sobriety. 
component what but since the last you know year and a half plus like what has that looked like um maybe give us a little bit about what what your recovery looks like in terms of of work and then I think more importantly, some of the family stuff and just like how you feel as a person. Yeah, so I'll get to that one second, but I wanted to just back up to the January 1st thing. Okay. I quit drinking for a full year by myself, which was something that I kind of had to prove to myself that I could do. And I did it, which was awesome. And when I say by myself, I, I, I did, I picked up some podcasts one of the things that started me on my journey, so I wasn't really all alone, but I didn't join any type of support group or AA or anything. But one of a friend of mine had a podcast and she had a guest on who was in recovery and listening to her and she came out about some issues she had with her own drinking. And then she had a guest on and they talked about, you know, recovery and drinking and, and they were normalizing that it's cool to be sober. And I was like, that's awesome. And it's something I think I've always wanted. It's almost like there was this sober person inside of me this whole time and like going back to those high school days maybe all that stuff that i was throwing onto it maybe that's that no my true inner self that's who i really am so i really believe that alcohol masked all that so when i saw her being true to herself and and, and her guest i just needed that one person to tell me it's cool it's okay if you do this it's okay to you know talk about recovery openly to your friends to your community so to your family so I kind of just got into it after that, it gave me inspiration to move forward. And then I read uh, This Naked Mind. I know a lot of people have read that book. It's a great book. It changed my thinking of alcohol and how, how I related to me and that a lot of the stuff is not my problem as much as it's, you know, it's my problem, but it's not my fault a lot of ways because the alcohol is, is the addictive substance. And there's a lot there, but anyways, that book is a, is a great book. And so I read that book and then I kind of joined they have a Facebook group, but there's like thousands of people in there and I enjoyed going on there. I just, but I felt a little disconnected. So I used that to stay connected a little bit, but I was never really part of the community, a real community. And one of the things that in that book was saying, if you can get through a year of uh, with, with every major event. So, you know, birthdays, Christmases, you know, Thanksgiving, you know, New Year's, all the stuff you have to go through your first, all the cravings that you have to endure and get past and you know, I just took those on as they came and, you know, got through that. And so uh, my intention was after the year, I was just going to go back to drinking because I, I learned how to moderate. Finally, I finally did. After all those times, I finally <laughs> figured it out. And the then ticket. I realized, yeah, I got the ticket. And it's just like uh, after that year, I'm like, what? Why would I even think that? Like, uh, I need to do something more with my recovery. I need to do something else. And I couldn't figure out. And I, and I knew that it was like. I didn't know what it was. And then I start, so I start, you know, and I'm like, I need to like, I'm not going back to that. I'm feeling so great. I've, I ran like over a thousand miles that year. Cause wow. like, I just got, I got addicted to exercise, which is, I guess a problem, but it, in some ways, but it's also a healthy, healthy addiction. And, and you know, I was, it wasn't, I was kind of just quitting drinking and diving into other things, but I just realized there was still something missing. And that's when I stumbled across the uh, recovery elevator podcast that I'm on now, which is amazing. I stumbled across that and I heard uh, Odette was hosting is, is hosting because I started at the top and she her her truth and her um, realness and the way that she is her personality and just I connected to the way that the messages she said in the intros and then every single guest like 
I listened to like three or four episodes one day and like every single one was just like my story. Like I could hear myself and every single person, doesn't matter how old they were or whatever. They're all different ages, all different, you know, different genders and things like that. And I was just like, man, this is where I belong. I just felt this pull to it. And I was like, but there's not, I'm not, I want to, I'm not going to join like a online community. Why would I, I don't, I just listened to the podcast. Thought about that for a day. And next thing I know, I signed up. I was like, dude, I'm signing up. I need, I need something else. Cause I, I felt a little bit lost after that year. I needed something. And, and I realized what I needed was the connection of a community. Those are really powerful moments when we can, when we can see or hear our story through other people's. And it's, it's, it's exactly what you just said that we make that connection that I'm just like this guy. I'm just like that gal. We, we have this shared adversity and there's, there's just something about that fellowship that's it's so powerful with whatever group, whether it's Cafe RE or through a 12-step fellowship, through a church community. I mean, it can be any number of things, but that that fellowship when when you know that the person sitting next to you like gets it. You know, you can look at them and they look at you and you're like, I, I know that pain and and I've walked through it and and we're gonna continue to do this together, you know, walk alongside each other. It's it's just beautiful. Yeah said it there is it is beautiful and it's it's something that i didn't realize that was missing in my life because I, I have a beautiful family i have i mean the love and support all the love and support from my family but they just don't get it mm -hmm. so there's a difference between the love and support you get and someone who is struggling with the same issue you have and having that connection and that's what i found with our, with cafe re and then just somewhere where Really, I can just go on and ramble on and on and on and on and on, and people understand me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's an amazing place and to be, and and the love and support and and that's in that community is just something special for me. So it's a huge uh, huge tool for me, and I've used it. You know, that's six months. I think I've been in RE, but it's been like big motivator to you know I, I do it something with it every single day to keep me connected to the people, to my people, to the people I'm like, to my tribe, to all those all those connections I was looking for earlier in life, you know, to being a part of something. And now I've kind of like found, found that, you know, and, you know, we don't always talk about just drinking and all this stuff. It's more, it's not even about that. A lot of these times you talk about more of the thinking and the, and your feelings. And it's, it's like, it's like a therapy for me because I get to express and dive deeper into some of these things and the lessons I've learned from other people and their stories. And, you know, and you're one of them, you know, just, it's just amazing just to have that connection and, and share each other's struggles and our, and our wins and our, and learn and grow with each other. That's awesome, man. Michael, before we get to our rapid fire around, can you just give us a, a couple highlights of, of what life is like for you now? Like just as a dad, as a husband, um, as an artist, like what are some, some of the benefits you've seen just real quick? Yeah. So it feels amazing. Like I said, I, I don't, didn't think I could ever stop drinking. I don't know if I did say that, but I didn't think I could ever stop drinking. And I have done that and I don't have any desire to go back. I don't feel like I need alcohol anymore to be confident, to be myself, to be, to be, you know, the life of the party. Um, I feel way more connected, way more present in life. I feel every feeling. I feel the joy, which is different than happiness, true joy, true love with my family and the connections I make through, you know, my interactions with just everyday people with the stranger, you know, just meeting, I, I don't know, it's just crazy. Like, it's almost like it sounds kind of like this mystical unicorn happiness place, but it's kind of where I got like, and they call that kind of the pink cloud, you're riding that, 
this pink cloud and I, I rode that and then you know sometimes that pink cloud vanishes but it's it's just greater you wake it's greater the next couple of days and it's greater than drinking life is so much greater than your past behaviors you don't have to you don't have to be who you used to be you can create yourself anew every day and move forward with who you truly are and true truly embrace your inner light and then your you know beauty as as a human being I, I don't want to go too deep but that's how i that's really what i feel right now i just i'm really enjoying and i've also really enjoyed that and it brought some brought my spirituality back which kind of connects me more to nature and to to other human beings and to realizing my purpose on this earth so it's it's just amazing man. i couldn't i don't know i, I don't have enough words I'll, I'll keep going you said real quick but <laughs> I, I, i'll just keep talking if you if i don't stop so it's just a beautiful blessing to, to yeah. be where i'm at right now without without alcohol i love it man it's i think it is beautiful and and there's times where like just like you're saying sometimes i describe it and i'm like am i being too like woo woo but <laughs> but you know what like it's like i don't care and and listeners like i'm looking at michael he's got this big smile on his face like and i feel the same way it's just it's awesome it's it's awesome so dude that's that's amazing thank you so much all right michael we're in the rapid fire round in 30 to 60 seconds answer these questions number one what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? Probably my biggest fear was that I would not have any more fun and I would just be boring. And that is not the case whatsoever. Number two, what is a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol? Well, probably the biggest positive was reconnecting with myself um, and building my self-confidence back up, um, realizing who I really am and you know, living from my own truth. Uh, number three, what is your plan on sobriety moving forward? Uh, my plan is to stay connected and talk to someone in recovery almost every day, or if I can, and continue on with Cafe RE, or um, even I'm also inter interested in um, the AA 12 steps. So I'm actually working on step four right now. Um, I have a sponsor, but it's like a virtual thing. It's kind of a little less, you know, I haven't gone to an actual in-person meeting, but um, since I've been in recovery for a while, I thought that was really cool to kind of just work the steps and just really see what that's about because I know there's a lot of value there. Um, so I'm I'm working on the steps and just, you know, I think staying connected to the community. And I also, like I said, like, love writing music. So I kind of want to write some recovery-related stuff. And so almost all my songs were almost based on that before I even knew I was in recovery. So it's, it's interesting. I, I really love giving back to the community and I really love being a part of it. I love it. Just quick Chris note here. I, I fully believe not an expert here, but I fully believe that online sponsorship is possible. I'm doing it for, you know, like I have an online sponsor. So like, good for you, dude. Four is a, four is a good step. It's a, it can be a, a challenge, but it's a good one. There's a, I think there's a lot of growth there. So good for you and keep it up, man. Thanks. Uh, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? So it's a parting piece of advice I would um, give listeners is that you don't need alcohol in your life. There's so many resources out there, support, you know, online communities, Instagram, you know, podcasts, books, and this that you're not alone, that we have so many people are waiting for you to create the life that you've always wanted. I love it. And last but certainly not least, give listeners your favorite, you might need to ditch the booze if line. All right. I've been thinking about this one because I've listened to the podcast a lot. So I have a couple, but I think I'll go with, you might have to ditch the booze if you ever jokingly refer 
to knocking over your drink or spilling your drink as alcohol abuse. <laughs> this is true. Michael, thank you so much uh, for the time. I'm really glad that we were able to make this work out. Thank you so much. Um, I think you're going to help a lot of people, man. I, re I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And I'm just so happy to be on the journey with you together. And you're doing an awesome job hosting. And so, as I said, just awesome to be here. And thank you. Thank you. All right, brother. Take care. All right, take care. Thanks for sticking around, Recovery Elevator. And a huge shout out to Michael. I appreciate you, dude. You're doing great things. At a meeting yesterday, we dipped into a conversation about some of the scientific reasons for addiction. When I was in treatment, I used to be able to rattle all this stuff off because we would get lectures on it. It was really important for me to understand at that time in my recovery that there was science to back up my disease, condition, my state. It doesn't really matter what we call it, but I finally knew that there was something more than just my choices at play. Don't get me wrong, science didn't get to clean up the dumpster fire that was my life that had to be Chris and continues to be Chris, but it helped me to see another part of the picture. I finally understood more about how my addiction had developed over time. Our talk then shifted to the power of connection and how we can't intellectualize our way out of this. Speaking for myself, I need that community. Six weeks after my intensive outpatient finished, I went to my first sober meetup and my life has never been the same since. I don't know what I thought would happen. Are the 25 of us sober folks just going to sit around and talk about our lives? Kinda, but it was so much more. It was at that meetup that I saw firsthand what fun and sobriety can look like. Yes, we talked about our garbage. We talked about our past, our history, our pain, our trauma. But we went deeper. We worked through some of those things, but we also shared about our excitement for the future, our fear for the future. We cracked jokes. We did crafts. We played games. We even grabbed a basketball and had a horseshoe tournament. And that's where everybody learned that just because I'm 6'7", doesn't mean that I'm worth a damn at basketball. It sounds simple, but it was beautiful. It was a gathering of strangers that traveled from all over to try to do the same thing, to try to live the life that we deserve, that we had been longing for, and to not be shackled by some BS addiction that's trying to take us down. I've been home from the Bozeman retreat for about two weeks, and I still catch myself reminiscing about the time that we had there. This last event was much more elaborate than my first, but we're doing the exact same thing. It puts a smile on my face to think about what people overcame to make it to Montana. Fear of traveling, fear of meeting strangers, fear of this stupid virus. They overcame all this because they wanted more. The human spirit is an amazing thing. We shifted the energy that we used to put into drinking and we put it towards a greater goal, towards our own personal growth, towards showing up for others, for the community. Thank you to everyone who made that trip. Thank you to everyone who's been on any of the sober trips that I've been on. You've changed my life, and I'm grateful for you. On that first night in Bozeman, we listened as a song was played for us. We were given a lyric sheet so we could sing along, but the words were pretty easy to remember. I am here. I am whole. I want you to say those words with me now. I am here. I am whole. Close your eyes, put your hand on your heart, and say it again. I am here. I am whole. Feel it. Believe it. I am here. I am whole. You are here, Recovery Elevator. Right now, you're on the path with us. And even if you feel empty, I assure you, 
You are whole. You're right where you need to be. Paul and Justin, thank you so much for this exercise. I loved it. Recovery Elevator, you're the only one that can do this, but you don't have to do it alone. I love you. How do you know this is the experience you need? Because this is the experience you're having at this moment. In the seeing of who you are not, the reality of who you are emerges by itself.